and welcome back to Old Sport Podcast. There's enough content this week to fill a hydrogen blimp and with me to cover what it has been and what is to come is the ubiquitous Ben Rosen and Hugo Carson. Hugo, we've discovered that the Giants play a seemingly highly insensitive tsunami warning before all their games. I'm just wondering, have you adopted a similar tactic to scare the opposition in your netball games? And if so, or if you haven't, what sound would you pick? <laughs> Hello, by the way. No, we have not uh, played a sound before any of our games. I feel like the uh, undefeated record and the statistics speak to themselves at this stage. We walk out in the court and they know exactly who they're playing. Like Geelong in their heyday last year or or Richmond a couple of years back, you know, you know you're coming up against them and, and you just stand no hope. Good to say it hasn't gone to your head, though. No, not at all. That's fantastic. Um, on that tsunami warning, Hamish, I, I do fear that some of the Giants fans have taken it a bit too li- literally and have evacuated their seats just prior to the play starting. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. You're in, you're in trouble if it reaches Western Sydney, but, you know, best to take precautions in this day and age. Isn't that right? Should we get into some more serious stuff? It's a good idea. Let's do it. We'll start with uh, round three AFL footy action. It was a bump around, very, very challenging tipping round for the lads. All went four out of nine. Not ideal for the, the experts here. Uh, started off with the doggies getting the win at home over the Lions on Thursday night, followed up by another pretty solid win by Collingwood over Richmond on a rainy Friday night. We then had the Hawks getting on the board for the first time this season um, down in Tassie by 19 over North Melbourne. Carlton by 10 in a controversial hit out against the Giants. And then it was the mighty Saints in their 150th anniversary over the Dons by 18 points. Adelaide quite comfortably in the end by 31 points in a pressure cooker showdown. And then onto the Sunday fixture upset of the round. It was the Gold Coast Suns by 19 over the languishing reigning premiers now 0-3 for the Cats. The D's did it comfortably against last year's grand finalists, 50-point victors, and then it was Freo finally getting on the board against the Eagles. Big round in the golf, not a lot of action. We're all waiting with bated breath for this week's Masters, but it was Corey Connors who punched the final ticket to Augusta with a win at the Valero Texas Open. But as I said, all eyes point to Georgia this week for the playing of the U.S. Masters and a star-studded field. More on that later. But for now, Hugo, it was a massive week here in Melbourne, but for the global sports in general, take us through it. Yeah, absolutely. And where else would we start other than the F1 with the Australian Grand Prix? It's already come and gone with record crowds once again, turning up to Albert Park. We had over 100,000 for race day and over 400,000 attend the whole week to see Max Verstappen win one of the best and most chaotic Australian Grand Prix in history. The race involved three red flags and three standing starts, eventually finishing behind the safety car with Hamilton in second ahead of Alonso, Stroll, Perez, Norris, Hulkenberg, and Melbourne boy Oscar Piastri getting eighth with his first points in his first home race, which is very exciting. In the cricket, the IPL has started with most Aussies struggling early Cam Green, the second most expensive player in the IPL, is batting at three and hasn't looked too great in his start. Meanwhile, David Warner scored 56 of 48 for Delhi in an act of defiance leading up to the World Cup later on this year. It doesn't seem like he'll go quietly into the 
the night um elsewhere in the world we've got the major league baseball has started three days into the season and 45 of the 2430 games completed the houston astros are favorites to go back to back whilst lead challenges are the two new york teams and the la dodgers arguably the biggest storyline this season however is where will shohei otani be playing next year with the angels hoping to keep the young goat but not being able to deliver playoff baseball in the past so it's a one to keep an eye on in the future. Hamish, rugby, soccer, where are we starting now? Well, I was just thinking, should we be calling the young goat a kid instead? <laughs> Probably. Um, there's layers to that. I hope the listeners couldn't pause and unpack. <laughs> anyway, um, where else would we start but the, the NRL? I actually went on Friday night or Friday afternoon as they play up in, in Canberra because of the... Uh, freezing cold weather that we face up there and i watched the raiders get absolutely towed up 53 to 12 uh by the penrith panthers lots of tries though so at least it was exciting um just i was at the wrong end for where all the tries were which is a shame but the broncos remain the only undefeated team in the nrl and over in the soccer world all eyes on the epl this weekend we had another two managers sacked uh both graham potter and brendan rogers were sacked by Chelsea and Leicester, respectively. That now brings it 12 out of 20 managers who started the season have been sacked. Um, or 12, sorry, in total. There's a couple of clubs that have sacked two managers already this season. Um, but there's an incredible relegation battle going on, and that's the main reason for these, these sackings. Potter uh, aside, there's now just seven points separating the bottom eight clubs, and there are eight clubs really staring down the barrel of the championship next year which is just crazy and for most people far more interesting than what's happening at the top of the table but we'll touch on that more in depth a little bit later on for now we should start a little bit closer to home um hugo would you like to take us through the uh the weekend that was in the afl world yeah absolutely so obviously we had some big results some big wins a few a few scrape homes including carlton however arguably the biggest story going in three rounds is a lack of wins for one team in particular, Geelong, who now sit bottom of the ladder. I think they're the third side ever to go zero and three, having won a premiership. Ben, do you think this is premiership hangover? Do you think this is something of genuine concern or do you think this is something they can turn around pretty quickly? Uh, well, it's hard to describe it as anything but a premiership hangover. I think they're like, they haven't had the worst injury run. They look pretty lethargic. Um, yeah, and they haven't lost a lot of pieces other than Selwood in the engine room, but he was quite clearly towards the end of his career. I think one thing, you know, where you really notice Selwood's missing is that when the chips were down, if they'd had a couple of goals kicked against them in succession, he'd always find a way to get a crucial clearance and perhaps they're missing that, that capacity to stem the tide of momentum, but it is otherwise sort of inexplicable. They're, they're still stacked across all three lines. And I think you write them off at your own peril, but um, you know, Chris Scott would want to kick him into gear pretty quickly. Obviously the first two losses were excusable against two teams that you'd you'd anticipate would be, you know, pretty high up there, but a loss to Gold Coast, so I don't think anyone's got featuring in the, the top six or eight. Um, alarm bells would certainly start ringing. What do you boys yeah. think? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't think you can ride them off for finals yet. I think it's going to be be a challenge from here. You can't write them off, though. They are Geelong. They're the reigning premiers for a reason. I think it's something of concern, the way they're playing. They've got some injuries, but they just haven't looked looked up 
to it yet. So there's there's worries, but there's still a chance to make finals in my mind, Hamish. I agree. Um, although if they lose to Hawthorne this week, Geelong <laughs> hell break loose. I, yeah. It's one of these games where Hawthorne have nothing to lose and Geelong have everything to to suddenly lose. So be a nervous watch for Cats fans on Easter Monday. I'd almost be more worried if they'd lost to North Melbourne last week, though the Hawks. Um, I don't know. Feels like coming off a win, a young side, lot, a lot less likely to back it up. You never know. Um, speaking of that result, did you guys pick that? I mean, none of us did, but I really didn't see the Hawks being competitive in that one, considering how good North Melbourne looked in the rounds before. Was it just a case of missing too many key players in Simpkin and LDU, or did the Hawks turn it around? They're always tough to beat down there in, in Lonnie. So I think, uh, yeah, that plays a factor. But, I, yeah, none of us got near tipping it. I think it was a a real surprise. But younger teams, inexperienced teams, they're probably going to have that. Um, they, they'll be more prone to fluctuate in terms of their effort and their commitment. And I think that's just what we saw out of North Melbourne. When you're playing with a, a talent deficit, which they will be most weeks, then it's it's going to come down to effort. And if they don't bring 110%, then they'll get found out. Yeah, I think Bus North got the two early wins. I don't think many of us see them climbing the ladder that far. So if you take away their two best players, Nikolaki aside, then I think they're going to be in, in trouble. Um, should we move on to a, a brighter note, Hugo, for yes. one member of the podcast in particular? <laughs> Absolutely. And um, what a moment it was Saturday night. These are the moments that kind of live with your footy clubs. Can remember Carlton's last year, we had Essendon's um, had a few other teams in the past go through their 150th anniversary, but the saints did it so well. Plugger came down. He's rarely seen amongst the footy, the footy crowd. He doesn't, doesn't love the bright lights, but came down, got involved and he had to be there really like for it to be a celebration of the saints legends. Mm. I mean, obviously Ben, you can speak on it a bit more, but for him to be there, I really think it made a big difference for the Saints. The collars, can't forget the collars. Will they be back? Hopefully. Um, was it a proud night for you, Ben? Yeah, for sure. So I think yeah, that's nail on the head with with Plugger. I think for my generation, it would be Rewalt. And then for sort of anyone older, Tony Lockett sort of epitomizes everything about the Saints. And having him there lent a lot of credibility to the night, but it was a, they put on a fantastic show. I thought it was really well done. The lead up to it was, was fabulous. And obviously the boys put out an effort to match. Um, I did notice, I don't know if you guys caught this, but Hamish McLaughlin was talking, you know, he did the ceremony pregame and in his speech, he said something to the the effect of other clubs may measure success in terms of premiership cups, yeah. but not us. <laughs> we, we're, we're more of a vibe sort of thing. And I thought that probably tells you just about everything you need to know about the Saints. That but reminds me anyway. of um, the Simpsons line where it's like, you must get sick of having all those toys or something. And it's like only someone without toys would ever say that. And it's like, yeah. <laughs> it's, that, anyway, it's, it's, um, yeah, but you know, it, it was a, it was a great night club club home and away record i think for a home game almost 70 at the 000. record for a home game at the mcg record um, for a home game at the mcg there you go they okay, had a big yeah. one at waverly all right there you go but still like yeah it was it was a great night and the collars were 
fantastic. I hope that becomes a permanent fixture, to be honest. But it was a it was a great celebration of all things that are worthy to celebrate at St Kilda. And obviously, while we don't have the silverware, um, 150 years of continuous existence in any trade is a great effort. And there have been some remarkable servants to the club, both on and off the field. So it was nice to to honour them and honour them with a win. Just watch out for old sports 150th year anniversary. Oh, look, um, <laughs> look out. <laughs> I'm already counting down the days. Um, yeah, I think Ross Lyon actually summed it up really well in his pre-game press conference or post-game last week when he was like, oh, 150 years, one premiership. I actually think it says more about the club that we still exist with one premiership than it does about not having premierships. I think that's probably paying on the money. Um, yeah, the fact well, that you can, were... Yeah. There were players there, you know, pre-game that had played taking massive pay cuts just to keep the club alive. So, you know, it's it's stuff like that that you take for granted now that the sport's a lot more commercialised and you can't really see a team going under, even though there's plenty in financial trouble. But that was a real and present danger back in the day and, and you saw a few clubs drop off the bottom. So it's, you know, I'm certainly very grateful that that the Saints weren't one of those. Yeah, 100%. And well, it was a nice, nice way to celebrate. Moving on to a bit more uh, analytical side, boys. Uh, have we got the Pies and D's uh, one and two seed for, for a couple weeks now? I mean, the Demons were pretty comfortable in their, in their win over the Swans, who had seemed very good in the last few weeks. Yeah. Um, I was at that game. The Swans matched them for periods of it. And... Where they fall short, I just think they can make it up. Like there's just, I worry more about the periods where Melbourne can't score than the periods about where Sydney struggled to defend. Um, Because I think that's what Melbourne ran into last year in the second half of that game against Brisbane. They just couldn't find a way to go. And whilst it all, it literally all went right for them on Sunday, um, which it does for good teams. They kick really straight, but they were, yeah, getting free kicks and kicking goals from angles that, you wouldn't want to be relying on in a, a high-pressure game. Um, so I wouldn't worry too much about the Swans, to be honest. The Ds still going to be very hard to beat with that midfield, um, especially when they get going back. The Pies are on, on a roll, but I never back a team that is peaking in April. Premierships aren't won in April. So um, it'll be interesting to see whether who the, who the latecomer is because there's always one. And I think a team like, like Carlton, who started the season with the wins, but not playing like the most free-flowing or um, perfect footy is actually better place to time their run. And I think that's what Melbourne are trying to do as well. They learnt from last year. So Collingwood and Ted and I doesn't mean they're going to be the premiership. We learned that last year. Yeah, that's for sure. But obviously, you know, it helps. Yeah, and, <laughs> and teams starting teams starting as Collingwood have, I think, you know, the, the real overbearing worry for them after last year was going to be a, an immediate drop-off, I think. If there was going to be an issue, it would be that the form from the end of last year didn't carry over. And not only has it carried over, but, you know, they've been able to amplify what they were doing. So I think if you're a Collingwood fan, you're sitting very comfortably um, you are. E- equal top of the ladder with a percentage of 150. Um, and, yeah, it's it's up to the rest of the competition to to try and figure a way around them now. I think they've, they've set the standard and, you know, the gauntlet's been very, very well and truly thrown down. Yeah, I reckon I I agree with 
with everything there, boys. I reckon the pies set the standard. They've increased their ability in contests. They've gone from, I think they were 18th ranked for clearances and contests in the middle last year. And now they're in top five. That's Tom Mitchell and, and the rest of the team in there having their influence. But um, I think any side that comes up against Collingwood is going to be, have to play their best footy, which is always good when you're making teams play their best against you. Um, a couple talking points from the week. We'll ignore the descent rule because that's been done and dusted. Did catch today. It seems like the mid-season trade period will be getting up sooner rather than later with it being discussed already in, what are we, round four, whereas last year it was around the middle of the year. Every year it just gets closer and closer to happening. This this week it was Craig McRae who brought it up after being questioned, to be fair. However, he brought it up in relation to losing their basically their one ruckman however they did trade one of the best ruckmans in the comp (laughs) at the end of last year i don't think you can be too upset with your list if you if you give away one of your key figures um not not only traded but also paying five hundred thousand dollars salary a year to play at another club i swear this mid-season draft conversation only ever comes up in the context of Ruckman. Ruckman. <laughs> it's just because there's always one team with no Ruckman and a few teams with three. And yeah. <laughs> then, but then obviously, like, don't put yourself in a position where you have one Ruckman. Yeah. yeah. So I heard um, Dwayne Russell talking about today, and he had an interesting stance that one of the key challenges to winning a premiership is building your list. And that includes being ready for a situation like this. You know, Darcy Cameron. Is it's not a long, long term injury, but it's a, a few weeks where they're going to be without him. And, you know, Mason Cox is going to have to play a big role. And who knows when they get He's out, though. They're all out. Um, they're yeah. Cactus. Well, yeah. Um, McStay. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, it's going to be a challenge, but I don't think Ruckman have as big an impact as we like to think. It depends on the game, but I think the Pies can, can win it without it anyway. Um, yeah, to throw their podcast completely off track, though. <laughs> Speaking of mid-season trading, um, it has worked absolute wonders for the LA Lakers. So <laughs> I think, I think for the Lakers fans out there, you'd be looking at that because they've completely turned their season around. What they were able to do just before the trade deadline. So I think there is merit to it, but perhaps it's it is not as conducive. I mean, it's their own fault. They were in that stance as well. I mean, yeah, I guess that's the thing with the trade pin trying to rescue yourself from, from a difficult position, but if they hadn't signed Westbrook in the first place, then anyway, um, elsewhere, (laughs) steer steer the ship back on track, please. Yes. (laughs) Back to the AFL. Um, how long into the season do we think Ken's lasting? I give him till rounds. He'll be gone by the weekend of round seven. I'm saying, because they are every chance to be one and five. Um, yeah. looking at Port's fixture. And I don't think it's anything against Kenny. I think if you look at Port's list, yeah, they've got some really good young players. They're going to be appealing to a new coach, I think. But, like, they're battling for weapons up forward and back. Yeah. I mean, Charlie Dixon's well past it. George Yard has been dropped. Um, Captain's out of form. They're, like, defenders are all, like, 1.65 metres tall. So, I don't know how they're mm. supposed to compete. Um, so, yeah, I think there's things to like on Port's list. But they just strike me as a very like mediocre team. And then when they get it all together, like most teams, they can play really well on their day, but I, th- I see them in that eighth to 10th bracket. 
We've seen it in the past so many times. Leon Cameron was the prime example last year. You come into the season not knowing where your contracts act. The the team says, oh, we want to give him a run into the season. We're not going to talk about it until later on. You know, there's no contract talk at all. And then within four weeks, they haven't won enough games. And all of a sudden, they haven't talked about the contract and it's over. You know, you're just setting themselves up for failure. With the way the contracts are structured, there's there's outs for the clubs now. It almost seems better. You go along the beverage line where you sign him on another year. And if the performances don't don't hit, then you can cop a, a bit of extra pay, but just to avoid the avoid the scrutiny. And it just takes over the whole club. You see it with the Giants last year, the pies under Buckley. You lose that year. And in a year of footy with a, a good list is is such a waste. It must be weird for Buckley having to commentate the yeah. pies, which is like, you know, personnel-wise identical to the team that he had languishing in sort of 14th and 15th, and they are looking unbeatable. And he's His sitting stock up there is just and he's like plummeting. Yeah, he's stuck, <laughs> but he still has to like, he has to then go in the analytics of why they're so much better now than when he coached them. Like what's happened in the last three years, Bucks? And there's Tell also, what's changed. there's, there's so much talk about like how the players are just so happy under Craig McRae. They've got them playing <laughs> the way they want. They're so, you can just see they're playing a happy brand of footy. It's the Baz ball of footy. You're like, God, how upset were they under bucks? Like what were you doing, <laughs> mate? Severely sad. Um, <laughs> severely sad. <laughs> anyway, uh, sticking in Adelaide and on Port Adelaide, well, almost. <laughs> I'm not sure if you boys caught this. Uh, Hamish seems to think it happens every year, but um, <laughs> do you want to take it away then, Hamish? <laughs> Our great mate who provides us with a lot of content, Damien Barrett, AFL.com. He has been going on this, I think, because I listen to and consume far too much of his media and he just comes across in area. I, I try and avoid him, but he still finds a way into my life. Every single year before and after the showdown, he says... How good's the showdown? Best modern rivalry. Firstly, needs to be on a Friday night. I agree with all of that. That's great. Needs to be played at the MCG. How could it be at the MCG? Then we can all go watch it. Even better, if they can't do it at the MCG, let's do it at Marvel. Um, and the idea of like taking like a game that's between two local sides and just playing it in a different city where let's be real. No one really cares. <laughs> the second like people, round of a different you city. Know, people will watch a quarter, a half of the showdown. And if it's close, you watch the end. But like but I think the that's... idea of making all those fans on the one game they care about or travel and spend thousands of dollars. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. I think the reason currently why fans only watch you know a quarter or the finish if it's close is because it's on a saturday night not on free to wear and clashing yeah, with yeah. st kilda's 150th anniversary or it's on a saturday night while another big melbourne team's playing put on a friday night afl yeah. I, I just i don't get it how is that less valuable to them than what game did we have on friday i can't even remember um Collingwood, Richmond. Richmond. Oh, fair enough but the bulldogs brisbane thursday Later night in the season the afl serves up like junk on friday yeah, night. i swear they always just completely lose the plot around rain round eight and just start putting like serving up junk Gold there Coast. We go. yeah oh well next friday sorry and on the 14th oh that's gather around it's a bit different um anyway i was just looking at fremantle gold coast play each other at 5 10 on a friday 
evening, just so everyone's aware of that. Um, Get in the bin. <laughs> so looking to next Friday, though, not this weekend, we've we've seen that the Good Friday clash will be a sellout, which is very exciting. Um, shows that the AFL have made a right move, stick, giving it to North, keeping it with them, but then adding a, a bigger team like like Carlton onto it. I think if you, if you did that with even Collingwood or Richmond, it would also sell out. But um, that's great news for the Good Friday clash, especially for the Children's Hospital where a lot of money is raised there. Elsewhere in Marvel Stadium, Ben, I've got some big news for you. When, Here we go. When you go to Saints games and buy your chicken oh, no. strips, you can it's now... Not chicken. It's not chicken. <laughs> awesome. Yep, go on. You can now walk into the store and walk out without any interaction. It's set up like the Amazon stores we've seen over in the US, you just have your your card that you tap on entrance and then it tracks what you're taking and you don't have to tap anything on the way out. Does That's that disappointing because, <laughs> because I always love like giving a, a real greasy to the poor minimum wage worker who charges me $19 for the, the stricity. <laughs> I feel like I've got my own back there in this perverse little world we live in. Number one. Number two, how are you going to steal pies at the footy? <laughs> maybe, that's, maybe that's why they brought it in, but I don't know. I'm not for it. I'm not for it. 100%. Anyway, that was a very that's comprehensive wrap of the footy. If anyone yeah. else is listening to another podcast after this, they they want to have their heads red. I reckon. <laughs> what more do you want to know about round three, guys? <laughs> All right, moving on. It is the week of weeks if you're if you're into golf, and if you're not into golf, it is the one week that trans transcends the golfing world. So it certainly bears a bit of talking about, and that is, of course, the U.S. Masters. And this year's iteration carries with it, you know, particularly heightened intrigue with the return of the LIV defectors, Cam Smith leading the charge amongst them. Tiger Woods will be playing, fresh off some pretty good form. In LA, there's been changes to the golf course. So with that said, boys, there's three of us. So they are the three huge talking points coming coming to a head here. You've got the LIV guys coming back. They'll be teeing it up against the PGA Tour guys. Words have been exchanged. We all know the context there. That'll be taking up oxygen. The golf course has been changed. I'm happy to talk about that a bit later on. And obviously there's the Tiger element. So boys, which of those two that I've left for you uh, are you most looking forward to unpacking? And you can throw in the Aussie flavor as well. Oh, it's it's got to be the live, the live comebacks. Like they're going to be playing against each other. We're going to see people walking across each other's lines. We're going to hear Jim <laughs> Nance talking about live. It's going to be, um, it's going to be an interesting battle. And there's a lot of pressure on the live players to, to stick it up to the, well, stick it up, but to at least be competitive because oh, 100%. It's, yeah. there's been so much talk about how, uh, you know, they're not playing real golf. They're just, you know, making money and chipping yeah. around the course soft. out of yeah. exactly. Um, so, I mean, you've heard Cam Smith talk about how he really wants to, to lead the live players together. There's talk of, you know, 
Um, I'm not sure who said it, but a, a big group hug in on the 18th. If if a live player wins it, <laughs> Cam Smith wasn't too oh, keen on that hilarious. one. <laughs> um, Norman's not there because he didn't want to create a story, which is well, he doesn't get invited. Story in itself. So <laughs> he only got offered ground passes. Ah, uh, there you go. Well, yeah. I mean, he's bullshitting his way into a story there anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's, it's, um, a massive week and made even bigger and golf is winning because of live. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And with you, CBS had to actually release a statement committing to equitable coverage of LIV and PGA tour players. Cause there was genuine concern that like, they'd just be broadcasting half the masters. <laughs> and, like You'd just be watching this tournament. They, they already do play. anyway. If you're not American, good luck getting more yeah. than 10 seconds on the camera. Yeah, well, that is, that is very true. All right. Hey, Mish, I'll, I'll leave you to unpack the target factor. Um, does it, you can, you can contrast that with the Aussies in the mix. Um, obviously Jason Day roaring back into form, but what's the personal intrigue for you there? There's also always personal intrigue when it comes to the Masters, and I'm really glad Tiger's playing, and potentially good for him that he's not going to be the first or mm. second most talked about story. Uh, he can just go about his business and try to maintain an upright posture as, as best as he can. Um, it, it's never fun seeing like Titans of the game in pain whilst they're doing something they love. So I hope at least he can make the cut and get through and. Um, at least look like he's he's moving freely and whatever happens above that I think is going to be a, a bonus. Um, I'm 100% behind Jason Day. I just, yeah, yeah, I feel like your respect dips for a bit for the likes of Cam Smith um, uh, for all the above reasons that have been aforementioned and I'd love Jason to come from the clouds and, and pull yeah. off something special. I think it'd be a great just like swooping out of nowhere headline to really just like take away from all the other rubbish that's going on. For um, sure. Yeah. Quietly. Yeah, go on. So he's quietly a massive good form, all top twenties this year. So I think he's uh he's certainly one to keep your eye on. Always good around Mars weekend as well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and the last one, just for, for those who do tune in, especially to the back nine on Sunday, which is where all the excitement unfolds. The 13th hole, it's one of two par fives on, on the back nine, both of which have water in play, has been lengthened some 40-odd metres. So it was a relatively short par five. They'd often hit a three-wood and then just a mid-iron onto the green. It was almost a gimme birdie. Uh, with the lengthening of the hole, it's now going to play driver and then air either a long iron or a fairway wood off a more dramatically side sloping lie. So for a lot of golfers that goes from an automatic two shot hole, Eagle putt to probably a three shot hole and a very dicey wedge. So it brings a lot more variables in play. It's not just a sort of tick and click birdie. So I think if there's anything you could do to make the back nine of the masters more exciting, it's that. So keep your eyes out for that as you watch the back nine play unfold. Excellent in-depth coverage, Ben. Um, we will briefly move on now. I know this podcast already racking up some minutes now, but to the, the soccer world, it's been a big week, as we mentioned off the top. Um, Chelsea have sacked their manager, Graham Potter. They did stick with him for a while, but they're now sitting uh, in the bottom half of the, the Premier League, which is not where a club like Chelsea should be. Having said that, they're still in the quarterfinals of the Champions League and they face Real Madrid next week and they've said they want a new manager appointed by then 
Hugo, you're the Chelsea man here. There's this talk that Julian Nagelsmann, the ex-Bayern um, manager, got sacked last week is the, is the favourite for the job. But then I've seen reports saying that the uh, new Chelsea boss or owner, sorry, isn't uh, is concerned about you uh, Nagelman's young age. Yeah, um, and he wants something someone older than forty five. Very odd headlines. Anyway, um, <laughs> where do you sit with the whole thing? Were you one of the supporters who thought, yeah, times about right for Potter? He was always a little bit difficult to get behind, or are you one who sees it as a real transition moment for the club and wanted to give him a chance in the Champions League? Oh, it's such a tricky one because I couldn't see him really taking this group anywhere, but also it's a reasonably open champions league, especially the other side of the draw for Chelsea. Like you've got a a big challenge in Real Madrid and then either um, Bayern or Man City, but to give up a chance potentially, I mean, you know, they, they want to sign a new manager, but if you're rushing into a, a decision, then will it be the right one? It just feels like flip flopping between managers. Graham Potter was he the right man in, in the first place. I think it was important that they stuck with him through January because there's no way Chelsea would have convinced players like Enzo Fernandez or or Mudrick to join Chelsea if they had an interim manager or didn't really know the direction of the team. But now they're there, got made the big signings. The talent's definitely there. Um, but I mean, Potter was kind of all about making the the parts bigger than the oh, sorry the the whole bigger than the sum of the parts. Um, but then you've got these star players like Yao Felix, who has basically just been given the ball and told make something happen. Um, so it's probably the right move to get rid of him, but maybe could have been done before the international break. There was a few good results there. And then they someone came out after the game from the Chelsea board saying we stand behind um, Potter. Obviously he wasn't part of the, <laughs> the discussion in the early phases. Um, it's a, Classic Chelsea, and to hear that 12 have been sacked already, including two Chelsea managers, not that surprising, but it seems like it's almost getting worse. The other manager, Brendan Rodgers, Hamish, uh, had been quite good at Leicester up until really this season. It got them, yeah. won them the FA Cup, which is massive. They hadn't won a trophy before the Premier League. <laughs> um, two top five finishes as well. Yeah. And then um, this season. But do you think it was just, just it reaches apart. a point yeah. where you can't accept things anymore unless they're currently sitting second bottom. They do not have a particularly strong... Um, so basically, let's have a really interesting one where they are, they're prime, they're owned by um, Thai company King Power. Of course, their um, former owner tragically died in a helicopter accident leaving the, um, the stadium a few years back. Um, so his son took over. You know, King Power really badly hit during COVID, basically lost all their their money and assets for a while, um, which meant Leicester haven't been able to buy anyone of value for a couple of years now. They're also, because of that, they were reluctant to let any of their good players go. So there are a few falling outs. We see the likes of Tielemans not invested in the club um, and they're going to lose a few of their really good players for free this summer because they're coming to the end of their contract. Madison will probably be sold. He's the only player of currency they have. So it's a real transition for Leicester. It's not an appealing job for anyone. And I think Brendan, who's a very hard kind of old-fashioned leader, with it, he's kind of the Ross Lyon of, of soccer in many ways, the way he goes about it. Um, 
maybe has just lost the cattle that he needed to perform the the game plan that he wanted. And I think he Leicester are probably the team that everyone who doesn't have a dog in the fight, so to speak, wants to stay up because they are such a good story and a really likable club, likable fans, likable community as well. Um, so it will be really sad to see them go down. But unfortunately, this is what happens to anyone who's not part of the big six to eight teams at the top. Your time can be up there and you can fall from eighth where Leicester were last year to to 19th very, very quickly. Similar with Leeds as well, also down yeah. there now. Yeah. Um, speaking of, who who do you think stays up, Hamish? It's pretty hard to predict. There's, well, from basically from 12th down, there's... So 12th is Crystal Palace, who's on 30 points. And then the Southampton's the bottom on 23 points. So that's seven points separating eight clubs, which is just absurd. And we've never, never seen anything like this. We talk, I think last year we were talking about how big the the um, <laughs> relegation battle was when it was six teams. Um, do you think the bottom three now stays pretty similar or can you see a team dropping down? Um, I think Southampton, unfortunately, are in strike. Um, for me, I think Wolves, West Ham, Everton should be okay. I think they've got enough talent on their list and probably the same with Crystal Palace. They've got those extra points. But those others, basically from 16th down, Nottingham Forest, Bournemouth, Leeds, Leicester and Southampton, you can you flip the coin. It'll come down to a couple of moments and a couple of games. All right, moving along to moments of the week. And mine's a, a fairly brief one, but certainly I think a, a player that deserves a shout out. And that's just the form that, that Mason Wood has been in. Obviously delisted at his former club, the Kangaroos. Um, really, I I don't think anyone at the Saints had overarching expectations when when he arrived at Moorabbin, but he's, you know, just really worked hard at his craft. He's an incredible anaerobic act. Uh, athlete and is also showing to be a pretty handy user of the ball at the game. Just seeing some of his left foot darts into the forward 50. Uh, it was pretty impressive to see. I think he sustained a, a bit of an AC joint injury, which is a shame because it's a, he's picked up 10 coaches votes on the weekend. He's probably polled five or six Brownlow votes already throughout the season. So hopefully he can get himself back out on the park firing fit and continue with the form that he exhibited on Saturday night. Sorry, are you, are you a Saints fan, Ben? What, yeah. Did you know? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Mason Wood fan now. <laughs> Amish, you want to take us away with your moment of the week? I would love to, Hugo. My moment of the week comes from this morning, actually. Uh, it was, this is weird for a Liverpool supporter, but and Michael Keane's goal for Everton was extremely exciting. Uh, Everton were losing 1-0 at home to Tottenham Hotspur, who needed the win for their top four hopes, and got a red card, and all hope appeared lost. And for those of you that know the Vincent Company goal, that's renowned for winning Man City the title three, four years ago now against Leicester, basically the same thing. Centre-back has the ball, a couple of dribbles, thinks why not? Let's have a crack. And then in the 80 aren't minute, he just pops it into the top corner and Hugo Lloris didn't even move. So um, massive result for Everton to get the point there, takes them out of the relegation zone. And uh, Michael Keane had given away the um, the penalty that had cost them the first goal. So it was a nice bit of symmetry there. And it's why we, why we love football, as the commentators say. Mm-hmm. Very good. I love it. 
Um, my moment of the week comes from home, and that is the cricket MOU announcement, which is the um, meaning means of understanding. I think is is what it's short for. Um, and basically, understanding. There we there we go. Um, and basically, it's just the pay deal with players, in particular the female cricketers in Australia, results in a massive pay rise for those. Uh, female players, $53 million increase in pay for women. The average WBBL retainer doubles to approximately $54,000, while domestic players featuring in both the Women's National Cricket League competition and WBBL will earn around $150,000 annually on average, which is massive news and puts them ahead of any other female athlete in Australia, especially in the domestic competitions. Um, and well-deserved because yeah. they have been such a dominant force in cricket and um, great to see them getting just deserves. Hamish, I believe you have fan moment of the week. Excited for this. It's just on behalf of a friend, um, but uh, they were uh, on their Instagram the other day and they saw a um, Instagram story. It's like fresh off, like the first one that came up and they clicked on it and it was Roger Federer announces shock return to Wimbledon, one last competition. It's been working up. There's a whole article by the link. Um, anyway, let's just say said friend was very, very excited. I'm just about to uh, send it through to numerous group chats. Mm. When at the bottom, it's just there was just a one line that said, "Make sure you read the date of this post." And of course, it had come on the second of April, Australia time, but it was the first of April in BBC where it was in the UK where it was published. Oh. And uh, said friend felt like a like a fool, but had been very excited <laughs> there for a moment. That would be agony. So you can't do that to people. Like people get so crazy with their it sport is. fanaticism. I just <laughs> you can't do that. That's too far. Can you imagine <laughs> like if you announced like for Carlton fans, Patty Cripps, Charlie Kerno both go down injured at training. That would be oh like <laughs> heart in mouth, season over. God. The worst one I saw the Giants posted on their Instagram, Callum Ward in his jumper, black background, being like, hey, Giants fans, just thought you want to be the first to know I'm announcing my retirement effective. In oh, that's history. not even that. Thanks so much for the spot. Wasn't funny. was very no. believable. And that yeah. was the post. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, Callum Ward's done. Like he played well on the weekend. Wonder what happened. Like, is that the second worst? Is that the second worst social media post from an AFL team this week, Hamish? It's got to be right up there, Hugo. <laughs> For those that didn't see, you might want to check uh, Essendon's Twitter page. It's too hard to describe. <laughs> Doge <laughs> in the logo. Uh, moving on, Ben. What is the time? Oh goodness me! It's been a been a while, Adam. We have changed back away from Australian daylight <laughs> savings, Eastern Standard <laughs> savings time. So. You know, it's it's all happening here. The clocks have moved around, but I can confirm for you that it is in fact Cameroon's favorite sporting podcasting moment, and that is, of course, hit or miss. Is that Cameroon Smith you're returning to? <laughs> Speaking of Cameroon of Smith. Of course it is. My hit or miss is that there's more pressure on Cam Smith at the Masters than there is any other golfer. Hit or miss. Ben, you start us off. 
Yeah, it's a hit for me. Um, mainly because he's really the only one of the LIB guys that defected at the peak of his powers. I think the rest of them, they were struggling with form or at the sort of, you know, back end of tail end of their career. Uh, they had a lot more to gain than to lose in terms of obviously with the money, but they just, on the flip side, they didn't have anything to lose in terms of the, the sort of professional accolades, but Smith has it all in front of him. Obviously uh, reigning open champion was the best player in the world at the end of last year when he made the decision. So I think he certainly comes with a target on his head. Uh, there'll be those in the, you know, on the PGA tour affiliated side of the media that will be keen to peddle the narrative that the LIV tour, you know, makes players games soften up. They're only playing 54 holes, no cut, guaranteed money. And they'll probably want to pin him up as as the the exemplar of that. Um, and obviously starting at such a high threshold, anything less than competing, I think he'll give them more than enough ammunition to level that case against him. So for me, not only does he have a lot to lose, but he's probably got to register a top 10 finish not to lose it. Yeah, it's hard to argue with Ben. Um, the only one I think he'll come close is Phil Mickelson. I just think he's going to get heckled. <laughs> there's no, no tomorrow. Um, but I don't think there's much pressure on Phil to actually perform. Probably yeah. a bit on Rory as well on the um, PGA Grand side Slam. to actually... Yeah, go for the Grand Slam, but also because he's flown the flag so strongly for the, uh, well, against the LIV, I guess, um, more than for the PGA. There's mm. pressure on him to perform because otherwise you can, you can look a bit silly. Um, but yes, the pressure is on Cam Smith. Yeah, I I agree. Ben, just quickly, do you reckon there's any, do you reckon Tiger feels any pressure going into a tournament like this? Like, obviously, it'd feel nerve still, but is there pressure on him to, to come back like the last year's was kind of a, a gimme, like your heart can't mm. even walk. Like, but is this, you know, you got to make the cut or it's over kind of thing from fans. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not, not to that extent. I mean, he's, he's very cognizant of the records, the, the numerous records that he holds and, and his cut streak at the masters is quite something. Cause whether it was the, the personal issues in his life or the injuries or whatever, he always makes a point of coming to the masters and he's never missed a cut at the masters, I think. So, um, you know, it would be a real shock to his system and and that of his fans, if he were to sit the weekend out. Um, but, but that being said, anything, anything more than that at this stage of his career is just gravy. I think he's not playing, um, enough competitive golf to really justify any rational expectations of him competing, but it is, it's the, you know, age old cliche, but you're right. The goats off at your peril. Um, Jack Nicholas won a masters at the age of 47. I think tiger's 47 now. Um, and if there's anywhere that, that can ignite the magic, it's certainly the hallowed grounds. So wait, wait to be seen, I guess. Of it. All right, mine's a little bit different to, to normal. Hit or miss, pundits should have a published record of their calls to be held account to some extent. And what I'm visioning here is some kind of like published register article, <laughs> register, Excel Twitter bot, a Twitter bot, just a Twitter bot even. And it just has a record of what they've said and how right they were. Or maybe even on a spectrum of like how far away they were. And Would we be held accountable to this as well, Hamish? 
I think we I welcome that. that <laughs> it's not just people who make it's people who deliberately make headlines about their yeah. predictions. So the, where this is coming from is Kane Corns, who made a real go at the start of the season saying how Geelong's this is Geelong's premiership, everyone else is playing for second. And he looks like an absolute fool now. But no one's talked about it, no one's brought it up. Kane certainly hasn't acknowledged his uh, clear mistake in Geelong might still win the premiership, but it's not clear that everyone else is playing for second at this point. So it just makes me think like how they just get away with making these statements without any kind of like I feel like there's no responsibility for it, but is that a bad thing or a good thing is what I'm putting to you. I think if anything, it just, this, I'm probably not giving you a hit or miss you want, but it just highlights how trivial the, the AFL media really is. I think to an extent, I mean, the fact that you can say the most preposterous things and say <laughs> it as if it's law. Um, and then three weeks later be proven to be entirely wrong and still front up to camera and not bat an eyelid is <laughs> just, you know, it's testament to the fact that everyone's really just having a bit of a bit of a laugh and filling their pockets in the <laughs> AFL media, I think. But for me, it's a it's a hit, uh, especially for those on the more serious, you know, quote unquote analytical side of the game that claim to be seeing vision that you know us mere mortals aren't. Um like cane corns, as as you mentioned, then I think if you're going to put yourself up on that that pedestal, you're probably going to need the results to back it up. Especially because he would like, he would let you know about his right calls, the ones that pan out for him. So it's probably got to be a two way street. Yeah, uh, nothing else to add other than a hit for me. Cool. All right, I got I got one that's just absolutely preposterous. But Matty Lloyd said that. Um, Jordan Dugowie is the second best midfielder in the game. Had him had him ahead of Oliver. Um, I'll read out the full list for you. It was Cripps, number one, Dugowie, Davis Uniac, Bonzampelli, Petrarca, Oliver rounding out the six. What do you make of that? How how are there five mids better than Clayton Oliver? I'm sorry, but what? Oh, yeah. Honestly. Um, miss. And I don't think he makes top ten, honestly. Like he has a couple good games when they're playing well, especially he plays well. But last year when they were struggling before they were winning all those hot streaks. Yeah. <laughs> Ridiculous. Um, when they were going before the, all the hot streak and the, the close games, everyone was questioning whether he was worth it. There was a thought, you know, when he went off to Bali, all that kind of stuff. It, is he any good really? And now all of a sudden he's top two mid in the AFL. Come on, mate. Um, I don't think LDU's in the top five yet. I think he's a gun, but just, you know, takes a little bit longer to get into that upper echelon. I think he's forgetting of a lot of players who have a lot of credits in the bank. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I reckon, yeah, top 20 would be about right for to go. I think Neil and Dunkley are both better than him. Um, not even considered in that list. But for me... Clayton Oliver is like when people mention Petrarca and Oliver, like they've got it the wrong way. Like Clayton yeah. Oliver is so far ahead of everyone else, I think. Yeah. And um Bontempelli on his day can compete with him. Um and I think Cripp's good as well. But like watching Oliver on the weekend, I know he had a particularly good game, but like Petrarca's, you know, talented and explosive, but Oliver does it both ways and he's just relentless. So mm. um yeah, Dugowie is 
can't stand anywhere near him, let alone be above him for, for me. Love it. Love it. All right. Um, I totally agree for what it's worth. I'm, half the time you can't even classify to go as a midfielder. So yeah. it's wrong on so many levels. I'll quickly rattle through, um, you know, at least the second best sports podcasting segment of the week. And that's, of course, on this day, on this week, for this week. And, <laughs> and this week, it is the 10-year anniversary, believe it or not, of Adam Scott's famous drought-breaking U.S. Masters win the infamous come on Aussie celebration on the 18th green followed up with a remarkable birdie to win the playoff over Angel Cabrera back in 2013. I think we all remember where we were um, and the general excitement around the the media, the sports media in Australia at the time, because it is the jewel in the crown of, of the golfing calendar. And as such a proud sporting nation, um, it was long overdue that we had uh, someone don the green jacket and no better Victor than Scotty. Yeah, so good. Never forget. <laughs> what have we got in? <laughs> Never forget. Yeah. <laughs> um, what have we got in upcoming sports, boys? Start with you, Hugo. Uh, well, in cricket, we've just got the continuation of the IPL. Um, in ba- uh, basketball, we've got a few big matchups coming up. Well, every game at this stage of the season is pretty big as teams fight for playoff play in. Obviously, the Lakers have to win every game pretty much to to get avoid the play-in uh, or not win every game, but every game is is crucial for them as well as a few other teams in the East and West. Uh, baseball continues with games on every single day. In the F1, we've got about a month break before the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. So a while for the, the drivers to recover from the chaotic finish at, at Albert Park. Excellent. Nicely done, Hugo. Um the soccer world's main games this week, uh, tomorrow morning and on the weekend, uh, we've got Liverpool Chelsea at, at 5am, which will be long completed by the time this reaches anyone's ears, but some critical matches, Man U play Brentford, and then they've got Everson following up on the weekend in the Asia time slot. Uh, Liverpool have Arsenal on the weekend, Southampton face Man City in a real battle of the, uh, the cellar dweller versus the the table toppers um, and Chelsea have Wolves and what'll be a, a probably a hard watch for anyone who doesn't support those those two teams, but a really interesting one uh, and multiple multiple relegation battles uh, as on top of that. So a huge week in the Prem um, and a bit going on in the uh, the A League as well. But we'll, we'll move on. Ben, what do you got for us? Love it. Uh, round four action in the footy headlines. Things for me, it's the Lions. V Collingwood on Thursday night in a huge test for the Gabba lights. And then on Friday, the good Friday clash, we got North Carlton as forecast earlier, Fremantle Crows starting the Saturday ticket, then followed by the Tigers and the dogs at the G and Saturday night. We've got the, the saints versus gold coast at Marvel and Swans V Port Adelaide at the SCG could be an ugly one for Kenny. On Sunday, we've got the Mighty Dons versus the Giants in a tipper's nightmare and the Eagles v Melbourne and finally finishing the round, the classic Easter Monday clash, although this year without that much excitement, it's Geelong v Hawthorne and not that I need to touch on it ever again because I've said it a thousand times, but the US Masters kicks off Thursday night Aussie time, so Looking forward to that very much. A bumper weekend of sports, it seems like. 
Can't wait. Ben, give us your Masters Bowl prediction. Masters Bowl prediction. Rory creates the, uh, completes the career Grand Slam. I think um, it, it would be terrific to see he's in the form to do it. I think this is the year. Love it. I'll uh, give us an AFL one with the lowest Easter Monday crowd so far and probably one of the lowest ever, I reckon. Like yeah, it. I think it's going to rain as well, so not a bad shout. Um, mine is that, and I know this isn't measurable for a little while yet, but Pat Cummins is going to be referred to as the $3 million man in every Fox Sports publication for the next three years because his Cricket Australia contract's now worth about $3 million a year. Which is so funny when you compare it to US sports. Yeah. Like, which is just like there's people not getting minutes in the NBA on 10 times that. But anyway, such is the nature of markets. Well, boys, that was tremendous. The sporting year has well and truly kicked into gear. It's all happening across all fronts. Um, and I'm really, really excited to see how these next couple of weeks pans out. I feel like we've done a pretty good job of wetting the listeners' appetite for it. So it's now out in front of you. Enjoy an unhealthy dosage of live sports this long weekend. And we will be back in a week or so to recap it all for you and Cass and I forward to the winter horizon. Gentlemen, thanks for joining me.